for May 30th, 2022. It's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 726, a blue-collar job as a sashimi miner. Welcome to the Overthinking It podcast, your smart, funny friends on the internet. Uh, we're never happier than when we're talking about our favorite TV shows, movies, general topics, friendly acquaintances, uh, just jibber-jabbering about the culture that we all live and breathe in. I'm Pete Fenzel, and your usual host, Matt Rather, has vanished into the outer rim to live a life of mystery. Perhaps he's dead. Perhaps he'll never come back. Or perhaps he's on a mission. A mission, you say? Perhaps something that could save the galaxy. I'm here in the meantime with an esteemed <laughs> panel of inquisitors who will be searching for Matt Rather. <laughs> <laughs> Unlike Matt Rather, I'm going to tell you right up front what this episode of the podcast is about in no uncertain terms. It is about the first two episodes of the Disney Plus series Obi-Wan Kenobi. And uh, and we are comparing Matt to Obi-Wan Kenobi because of that uh, that that listless look in his blue eyes that drift away to, to a distant past and then not to not so distant future. Uh, anyway, I've got Mark Lee with me. Hey, Mark, how you doing? I thought we were here to talk about the story of Darth Plagueis the Wise. Oh, uh, you know, it's not a story Jedi would tell you. So mm. I guess we're not Jedi. So we could <laughs> probably do it. And uh, and Jordan Stokes. Hello there. And I am the I am the like hapless child Jedi who runs out of the temple at the beginning. Oh, excellent. Are you Grogu? Are you going to have your own uh, plush doll in, in uh, not too much time? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm the, the hapless child Jedi, not the insanely lucrative yeah. child Jedi. <laughs> the, the happening. The happening and the hapless, indeed. Uh, so, yes. So, uh, the Disney Plus Star Wars Empire uh, continues to strike back with hit after hit. Following up the uh, flawless book of Boba Fett with the, uh, <laughs> it's not unsurpassed it's, and unsurpassable. Book of I'm just Boba saying Fett. it's like Bantha baby uh, with the uh, with yes unsurpassed and unsurpassable book of Boba Fett, the greatest book ever written that isn't a book. <laughs> <laughs> Which is funny because there's no literacy in Star Wars. There's no written history in Star Wars, by the way. Sorry, continue. Oh, that's true. It's all oral tradition, yeah, like in yeah. Moana. Yeah, exactly. Uh, they all, or in actual Polynesia, right? All of the instructions on how to sail are passed down by oral traditions. So when there's some sort of cataclysm, the whole society forgets how to do it. Like the Bronze Age collapse. I think that's what happens to the Jedi, but in like five years, right? Pretty much. Everyone just sort of forgets that they exist. Ten years, 20 years, whatever it is. At any rate, uh, we're here to talk about Obi-Wan Kenobi. And we're not here to troll or, or sort of say that the Star Wars shows are bad. They're generally not bad. Uh, and yeah, the Book of Boba Fett had its problems, but don't we all? Uh, <laughs> and couldn't we all if we could all meet them with the grace of Timur Morrison astride a, a animatronic bantha or whatever a CGI pump, a CGI camel with a big bull face on the front from Jim Henson or whatever then we'd all we'd all be doing great uh, so yes we're going to talk about the first two episodes of the Obi-Wan Kenobi show I do feel like sometimes when we talk about these shows we wait until they're over and as a result we never talk about them but at the same time if we don't watch them, like if we haven't watched all of them, inevitably somebody who's watched more than we have goes back to our podcast and tells us all the things that we were obviously wrong about. So I think what I've realized is that, uh, you know, fear turns to anger and anger turns to hate and hate turns to the dark side. And uh, 
And so we're just going to move forward as true Jedi might and uh, and proceed with no fear. Put it on a T-shirt. Big dog, stay on the porch. Wait, no, never mind. Uh, we, <laughs> and so one. Like, so here's here's one thing that we could jump off by saying, right? right. I mean, okay. So B- Book of Boba Fett aside, yes. everyone loved the Mandalorian, right? Like oh, that, yeah. that was generally thought yeah. of as really really good. And I feel like it's sort of instructive and interesting to think about the ways in which Obi Wan feels different from the Mandalorian right out the gate. Like like maybe there, the, the Mandalorian was so very clearly like a Western in space which Mm -hmm. Star Wars has always been part of that. And I feel like maybe Obi-Wan could be that as well. But if, if the Mandalorian is like a John Wayne Western in space, then, uh, then Obi-Wan is like a Clint Eastwood Western in space. Mm. Like there's a kind of um, haunted bitterness to Obi-Wan that is really not there in the Mandalorian, that for all the sort of the, the grimness of the Mandalorian, it's kind of a like thrilling tale of boys adventure kind of show. Whereas like the defining mood of Obi-Wan seems to be post-traumatic stress disorder. Like, am I, am I alone in feeling this? I don't think so. I mean, Mark, do you want to weigh in? Oh, where to start? Okay. Yes. Totally agree with you, Jordan on that. Um, to circle back on another, other ways that this show, like very, uh, much distinguishes itself from the prior Disney Plus uh, shows. Um, I'll just show a couple of aesthetic things straight out of the gate. Um, uh, Bando and Book of Boba Fett um, have the Ludwig Göransson music that uh, is evocative of all sorts of things, including like Ennio Morricone's spaghetti western music. Um, and uh, they dispense with a lot of kind of the trappings uh, of Star Wars movies that we remember like a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, which. Um, this TV show very prominently does start with, right? Like, it's just sending you signals all, all over the place. That, like, this isn't like Mando. This, you know, we're not going to be stuck. This is like Boba Fett. We're not going to be stuck on the, on Tatooine planet and, like, just, like, really, um, uh, just beating this Western theme to, to death. We're not doing that thing. And I should also point out that, um, they brought John Williams back to record a new, mm. like, title track or theme for Obi-Wan Kenobi for this show. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of different stuff going on here i i think all for the for the better um like they definitely have to change up the pace from uh from the prior tv shows um but we, we could keep, we could keep going on the uh, on this thread here um we could talk about the like obi-wan state of mind or we could talk about like let's you know what let's do that let's talk about obi-wan's uh strange journey it's like the excellent <laughs> adventure on which he has been and which like various media properties and, and corporate owners have taken him on yes He's not the man with no name. He's the man with the name and no character, right? And it just evolves <laughs> over time. <laughs> yeah. Well, so, and like you can tell, you can tell how messed up his life is because right at the very beginning of episode one, we get this massive recap of everything that happened in the prequel trilogy. Oh, I loved it we, so much. Like, yeah. we have the ability to hit skip intro. But then five minutes into the show, Obi-Wan has a flashback with all of that same material with slightly shorter snippets. And he has no skip intro to push. Skip intro on the recap of the prequels is one of my favorite things I've ever experienced in a streaming service. It's just so great. It's like, hey, remember the Star Wars prequels? They're relevant again. Like, they're the, they're the, they're, they are intended as the, the lead into this television show, right? That was what it was all about. You, you guys had to skip the, you did, you guys did just skip that intro, did you? No, it was great. Saw, yeah, 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 yeah. It was terrific. I learned important things about the Force and sand. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but let's, we got to worry back all the way to 1977 for a second. Yes, right? that's right. That's right. right. Smokey and, just, and the Bandit. Let's go. <laughs> right. Jaws. Run. 
Jaws, yes. Uh, THX one one three eight. Let's let's all just like get a very obvious fact on the table here, right? Which is that okay. George Lucas, yes. when he sat down to write Star Wars in nineteen seventy seven, did not have it all planned out, right? Like there, you know, he certainly had treatments, he had outlines, he had ideas, um, but a lot of it was just made up as it went as it went along. Right, perhaps up to and including and, and well surpassing um, the 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 huge revelation that Darth Vader is Luke uh, Luke Skywalker's father, right? Like that probably was not. There is no definitive proof that that was there from the beginning. In fact, like you can almost assume that it, it wasn't, right? So Obi Wan Kenobi, right, goes from you know um, uh, you know straightforward good guy old mentor, and then you have you know the the twist that he withheld this information from Luke, um, and that also he you know tried to he and Yoda tried to prevent. Luke from going off to confront Vader, and like that wasn't necessarily like totally a positive thing. Um, and this like very bitter uh, reunion confrontation that that uh, reckoning that Luke has with with Obi Wan in Episode Six, um, like really drastically recontextualizes their relationship from from Episode Four. It's like it's a really interesting thing. And then we get all that again recontextualized um, and expanded upon in Episodes One through Three, right, with a very tragic um, uh, arc with between uh, Anakin. And Obi-Wan, right? You were my brother. You were the chosen one. All that stuff. It's good stuff, right? I mean, like all the prequel, the flaws of the prequel, um, you know, uh, taking that into, into account, um, the, the, the character arc is compelling and like it, it, it all didn't have to go this way in starting in 1977. Um, and that brings us here to this show, right? Where, um, you know, like it, it fills in this, uh, gap and has a chance again to very significantly recontextualize, expand, retcon, whatever you want to call it, um, but just otherwise enrich the Obi-Wan story where we last left him in, in, in uh, at least in live action shows, right? In episode three, where he's in the desert and he's just like, oh, I'll, I'll watch over the boy. I'll just kind of, you know, be become a creepier and creepier old man, uh, just waiting and waiting, waiting for the right moment. And it's like, no. <laughs> there's, there's, there's much more to it going on that, right? First of all, like, very much so, Obi-Wan has PTSD. And second of all, now we see that he gets to go on these other adventures, including with Leia. Um, so, like, all this, like, uh, in case you, you can't tell, has me really excited for where mm-hmm. uh, the show has brought the character and where it, it, we expect it to go. Yeah, a surprise to be sure, but a welcome one. And I feel like it's interesting that, like, the thing with Leia creates some continuity problems for sure, right? But like the the thing that uh, that R two yeah. the message that she puts in R two is not like hey it's me remember your your spunky kid sidekick, um, <laughs> but uh, but what what you point out Mark is that like yeah fine this is Star Wars right like plot holes and retcons are as much a texture of the galaxy as the lightsaber hum and like they've made it work before we have no reason to suspect that they won't make it work again. Yeah, it's interesting to particularly think about how the story changes in those first three movies, because, of course, we've written about it on the podcast or on the on the show. We talked about the podcast, you know, Darth Vader in the first movie is just sort of this one guy. He's very scary, but he's not the whole empire. And then by the third movie, he's practically the protagonist, you know, not exactly. But, you know, he sort of has this real place of of prominence in the whole story. And uh and then once you get to the prequels, it's it's all about him. He's the kid with the shadow on the wall. So I remember when I was in, gosh, was it sixth or seventh grade? I don't remember how old I was exactly. When someone first told me that Star Wars is the story of Darth Vader, not the story of Luke Skywalker, 
Uh, and certainly didn't start out that way. So I, I would say, yeah, you know, George Lucas, whether he had it planned or not, it didn't happen according to plan. But I guess what's relevant here is not what happened in the imaginary universe of Star Wars, but what this means, right? Like, who is Obi-Wan Kenobi? Maybe that's maybe that's the first question that we can ask, because I don't know if this is a question that the show is asking, really. I don't think this is a sort of we can't I don't it doesn't look like some sort of meta you know, uh, heteroglossia of like, there've been all these stories about who Obi-Wan Kenobi is, what's he really like? There seems to be a specific Obi-Wan Kenobi in this story who is a new Obi-Wan Kenobi to an extent, but connected, of course, to the prequel series. But I mean, I guess, how would you characterize, if you're thinking about it in a in a kind of meta, meta-textual, meta-narrative way, like who is Obi-Wan Kenobi? What's his deal? Um. Is that too weird a question? Should I have prepped everybody and asked that like before? Is <laughs> that too big a question? No, I mean, Mark, do you want to jump in or should I? I mean, I'll start to claw away at it, right? It's like, um, to, to piggyback off what I was saying earlier, he's not any one thing. He is like not a straightforward hero. He's not an un- unalloyed, um, uh, uh, straightforward force for good in every situation. Um and he's like, so he starts off kind of like as, you know, a bit of a sidekick supporting role, right? And then has, has turned into something that's much more central. Um, and he, so that like he's, he's complex, he's conflicted. Um, and, and the show very, you know, takes a lot of great, uh, goes through great lengths to you know, make these, these facts very clear, right? Like, you know, he, he, he could like take a, he, he's taken a back seat in these weird ways and, um, he has, I think you could say that he's turned his back on, um, things that, uh, you know, a, a, a hero in a more contained narrative wouldn't. So, you know, he, he, he's, he's, I, I'm struggling to put words on it. Like Jordan, no, take me away from it. He's all over the place. Watch you wrestling. You are wrestling with the force ghosts of Obi-Wan Kenobi as yeah. we speak. You yeah. guys are right by the campfire. And I think he's got you in a half Nelson. Jordan, who, who is Obi-Wan Kenobi and what is his deal? Yeah, well, like to, to pick up on what Mark is saying there, I think that there's um, we're, we're existing in this gap between Obi-Wan at the end of episode three and Obi-Wan at the start of episode four, because there's like there's actually a massive, massive gap there. Uh, at the end of episode three, he, you know, the, the screaming like you are the chosen one, you are my brother. That is not something that Alec Guinness, Obi-Wan Kenobi would like not, there's not a level of emotional intensity that he has access to right um and in in episode four as you said this gets recontextualized later but in episode four he's like a very kind of by the numbers uh space wizard mentor figure and his basic role is to teach to teach luke to let go and let god right uh that uh he you know he's he's willing to sacrifice his own life just to like to teach Luke a moral lesson about trusting the force so that when the moment comes, Luke is going to trust the force and turn off his targeting computer and blow up the Death Star. Like that that's sort of his role yeah. in uh in episode four. And it's really hard to get from the guy who like storms away from Darth Vader on the lava planet uh to to that sort of uh Zen Buddhist space wizard character from episode episode four and it's a really interesting place that they put him in because like at at the in the first 
moments that we see him in the first episode of Obi-Wan, I think you do see a character that would be willing to just let Darth Vader kill him, but it wouldn't be a kind of like um, spiritual victory of uh, total faith in the force and becoming one with the greater, you know, spiritual energy of the universe. It would be more like from having given up. Yeah. You know, like he's, he's buried his lightsaber in the desert and you know, he's just taken on a blue collar job as a sashimi miner and he doesn't want to be a Jedi anymore. So like he, he is giving up and letting things happen, but not from a place of spiritual uh, wisdom, but rather from a place of, you know, of depression. And that seems to be a really interesting, I mean, we'll see how much they stick that landing. It seems a tricky landing to stick, but like, are they going to be able to get to a place where he goes from, I don't care what happens because I'm sad to a place where, and this is meant to be a triumphant journey. I don't care what happens because like, that is the way, uh, you know, it's a really subtle difference, but a very important one. Yeah. And that seems to be the journey that he needs to go on, right? Yeah. And just to, to um, strengthen this, like, sense of helplessness that he has and, like, lack of purpose and things like that, right? Even, like, his commitment to training Luke um, feels a little shaky, right? Even though he tries to, like, say to Owen, Uncle Owen, like, oh, but you, we, hey, we talked about, literally, we talked about this. Um, we, we The boy has to be trained. Um, and I... I Maybe this is just me reading in between the lines here, um, but there's a certain lack of conviction there when he's when he says that. Um, where you could you could see him, you could see this version of Obi Wan kind of shrinking away from that, even though he yeah. you know went to all the trouble of like pulling his binoculars and creeping on him and, and dropping off the toy. There's like there's like a little well, bit of like oh like I, I guess this is what I'm supposed to do. And and when when Owen's response is like well no. Obi-Wan's like, I have no second act. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, because he has this harsh burn. He's like, yeah, you're going to teach him like you, like you did his father? Yeah, how'd that turn out? And it's like, just <laughs> burn. <laughs> what, what, this, what this conjures for me is I had a little bit, something just clicked in my head. And as we watch the rest of this season, I want to keep track of this. Because so far I'm counting two. You guys let me know if you can figure out any more. And by two, I mean two stories about aging men of uh, of kind of purpose and authority, sort of like Western or Western adjacent stories of aging men trying to find relevance in their lives uh, through violence, I suppose is a way to put it, through, vi- through action more than through violence. Because this, the first two episodes of the Obi-Wan show, first of all, there's a very obvious Breaking Bad reference where Obi-Wan goes to a meth lab, <laughs> which is not a sentence <laughs> that I would have ever expected to have happen. But Obi-Wan dresses up like like Heisenberg and goes to a meth lab and like con- confronts Tuco, who's played by Flea, right, who's a child trafficker and has the whole like, that's not meth, like explosion thing, except it is, right? Um, it, just, it just seemed very strange that it was so aesthetically close to Breaking Bad. But I'm thinking, no, yeah, like Obi-Wan's of a certain age and he doesn't have a sense of purpose. You know, this is the sort of thing that he's going on. Um, and then the other one that comes to mind is, of course, True Grit. When you know, say if the Mandalorian is the John Wayne Western, then like maybe Obi Wan is the old fat John Wayne Western, <laughs> where yeah. he gets the because because True Grit is a story of like fat old John Wayne and a sassy back talking ten year old girl 
who, you know, yeah. or not, I mean, a girl of young girl of indeterminate age, because no one knows how old little girls are, apparently, because this sure. Princess Leia is, is 10, but really she looks like she's seven. It doesn't matter. Nothing matters. But just like, you know, if you haven't seen True Grit, yeah, it's like the this you nobody knows that nobody thinks this guy could be a hero anymore. Nobody really believes he ever really was. You know, he rides around as sort of a degenerate alcoholic. And then when you get to the big climax, you know, he has a old school Western showdown, you know, in, in, uh, you know, fill your hands, you son of a bitch. Right. Yeah. Uh, it's true and, that like old, old fat John Wayne, uh, has a similar kind of gravitas to old fat Elvis. You really need to consider that stage of his career completely differently from like the, uh, oh, yeah. the, the peak years. Different postage oh. stamp. Different postage stamp. <laughs> <laughs> also, I, uh, I have to, I have to let it be known that the instant that, uh, that, that character Vect, I think he's called shows up on, on screen. Um, my wife sat up like straight on the couch and said like, is that flea? <laughs> she, she was the Leo Di, Leo DiCaprio from What's Put a Time in Hollywood meme, pointing at oh, the yeah, television yeah. in recognition. <laughs> Excellent. Can I can I just say a quick thing about the prequels, just super fast, please? And, and okay, what for my pet theory about prequel memes, the phenomenon that took off right about the Star Wars prequels is that the thing that makes the Star Wars prequels so memeable and something that the Obi-Wan show immediately dispenses with is I felt like every line in the Star Wars sequels was said with an identical sense of importance. Like, like every single, single thing that anybody said had the same weight, which is why him saying hello there is the same yeah. as saying like, you're going to, you know, you're going to go rethink your life is the same as like, I hate sand the same as spinning's a good trick everything has like the same moderate sense of authority because everybody felt alienated from the project and didn't know like how to modulate the tone or where everything was going to happen um and i guess one of the big things about this story it breezed by for me i don't know if it breezed by for you guys it was a fast watch Mm -hmm. and it wasn't a particularly action-packed one either um but it has a real sense of like when to sort of when to build and let go and when to sort of like play it slow and when to punctuate there's a pacing to it that it's really great to see you and mcgregor perform in um yeah there's a certain meditative quality to it such as like you know when he is very carefully slicing a sashimi space meat yes 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 can we talk about the road oh yeah yeah, we got to talk about the sashimi oh my god mark the sashimi the sashimi like i'll leave it to you guys to unpack the bigger meetings but i thought there was a a one i have one complaint about it which is like they did fall they did follow the rule of threes it's the best sashimi scene i've seen since jiro man (laughs) it is certainly the the finest meat cutting in in star wars uh (laughs) in any star wars property um and they did follow rule of threes um where uh, we see him perform this act you know carefully cut and then wrap and tuck it in three times. Um, but I thought the first time they showed it, they were setting him up to get caught doing it. And then he has, has to face um, either, you know, be humiliated um, or like Jedi out and uh, beat the crap out of um, out of someone. But that didn't happen. Each time he's, <laughs> he's able to just like, you know, tuck it away and go back and feed his space his desert space camel. Minor complaint and otherwise like a, a, a pretty Why solid. Why is that a complaint? The show isn't over the- yet. Oh, is he he's still, he's still a chance to go back to a sashimi mining job and get um and get caught? I mean, the sashimi mining job isn't the thing he's at risk of getting caught for, I guess. But I mean, I don't know, uh, Jordan. You had some theories about this too, right? 
Yeah, I mean, I I feel like if they were going to have him go back and do it again, then Mark's right. They should have only had him do it twice so far, because it, it did really feel like a rule of three. It's like, all right, now's the time that the like they're going to catch him. They're going to catch him. What? <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> but I think I mean I think it's really interesting that um, that. Obi-Wan has decided to like melt into society and lead a normal life. That's one of the things that he says to the the ill-starred like uh tween Jedi or not tween but like the sort of the the feckless young Jedi that he doesn't help who ends up getting killed by the inquisitors. He tells him go like bury your lightsaber and lead a normal life. So Obi-Wan has decided to lead a normal life. And when the overseer is like uh practicing wage theft, he doesn't step in as a hero and help the uh help his coworker get paid for his job. But he's also not he's not willing to follow the rules. Right. Like he is grifting at his sashimi mining job, which I feel like is kind of there are a couple of things that are interesting about this. One that like the the blue collar underbelly of the galaxy is a place where everybody is kind of dishonest and cruel. Like even Obi-Wan is dishonest Mm. and cruel in this space. He's going to he's going to commit crimes and steal some meat. Um, And two, although he is no longer a hero, he's not quite yet willing to become a non-player character like he he's still going to take some little action that is not the action that he's supposed to be taking but is an action that is going to help someone that he cares about his uh his like you know sort of sad-eyed space camel sad-eyed sad-eyed carnivorous space camel i don't understand the biology of this organism but still like i think it's significant that he steals i think it's significant that in his little tiny way he is robin hood stealing he's stealing to help somebody so i I think that 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 kind of tells us where obi-wan is very precisely like he's he's working for a cruel company in a degraded circumstance but he is fighting back against that company with like the the 2 inches of flesh that his knife can reach and he's doing that in order to help somebody who is as an animal kind of an innocent who deserves all good things mm-hmm. it is interesting it's uh i feel like cuz when we were prepping for this episode i think jordan you said this is the downton abbey moment for the whole series is obi-wan kenobi stealing meat because I and think, I, yeah right yeah, yeah, no, and I, and I believe that. I feel like that's that's going to be the the character that he is, or the character that he becomes, is the one that is willing to steal the meat. Yeah, and I've been thinking about it, and I and the explanations for what this could symbolize is like spiral out. There's so many different things that this could mean. It feels like a very resonant symbolic gesture. So, like a couple of things that it could mean, right? One is the notion that Jedi's hunt themselves. What a wonderful loaded line, right? Jedi's hunt themselves. Obi-Wan Kenobi is hunting himself, right? Um, and and uh, and the idea is that the way that Jedi's hunt themselves is they do good things for people and they do them in ways that get them noticed and get them caught. And so there's this idea against that line that Obi-Wan Kenobi is not doing the thing that a Jedi would do, which is do the thing to help the people around him, but he's doing it because he has this other thing that he's helping with. Right. So so it's not because he doesn't care. It's not because he's ambivalent, but he has this sort of zeroth law of robotics where it's like, well, anything else that I would do to help anybody is less important than me helping Luke Skywalker for a variety of reasons. I promised. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. But or also just like as a defense mechanism. Right. Like this is the thing that I'm doing. Uh, I've committed doing this. I'm kind of on autopilot. 
it raises the question of whether is he stealing a, that small amount of meat where really he should be stealing the whole thing? Or is it more like – one thing I thought about is like, well, is the meat the Jedi and is Obi-Wan the sort of tiny slice of the Jedi that's been smuggled into the future to help Luke Skywalker? Uh, and 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 he can only do that because he's only a small piece and because he hides so carefully for so long, right? Like uh, is, is the fact that he's willing to hide the meat – uh, is he the meat, right? Is he is, and also, you know, is he meat or is he a luminous being, not this dark matter, right? Like, uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> I like the um, I like the metaphor of the Jedi being this like you know huge hulking dead carcass. Yes, yes. <laughs> and Obi Wan Kenobi cuts this tiny piece off of it and carries it out into the desert where it does right? provide nourishment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but then, yeah, and the, but the idea that the other guy gets caught, and he doesn't get caught. It's the risk of he could get caught, right? And uh, and maybe I guess we know he doesn't get caught, caught. He doesn't get killed because he does that later. He has an appointment. So, <laughs> <laughs> but I think there's also the question of because this is hung out for us, and I'm curious if this is going to become a thing later. It seems like it should. Where Yoda tells Obi Wan that he's going to teach him how to contact Qui Gon. Right. Because Qui-Gon has discovered force ghosts and and uh, Obi-Wan, we know, becomes a force ghost to coach Luke in the scene that Mark was talking about, where he's like all sardonic and sarcastic or whatever and confrontational about like, hey, man, you weren't there. <laughs> like you didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> it was totally messed up. Everything we said was equally important to everything else. <laughs> I just walked down a big green space and I held a cab and it was like a whole scene. I don't understand it. Um, but no, it's, uh, it's, it's that he becomes a force ghost. Yoda becomes a force ghost. Liam Neeson is a force ghost at some point. And then I guess there's this notion of has Obi-Wan lost his faith in the force? Has he lost his faith in the spiritual? And is he only living a purely material life? Uh, and is there going to be a reawakening of the spiritual for Obi-Wan as he becomes in touch with Qui-Gon, possibly, which I think brings it back to Jordan's pointing out that it feels like a Clint Eastwood Western because Clint Eastwood Westerns are all about like homeless dudes who are super sweaty, wearing bad clothes, shooting each other in the desert. Right. Like it's like it's it's very it's very human. <laughs> it's very like there's not this elevated sense that people are like on a mission, uh, you know, that needs to be kind of venerated. Uh, right. Yeah. That like society is going to live or die by the morals of these people as that they bring into a place with no laws. The, right, fact, the uh, fact that Obi-Wan gets called out for his B.O. seems pretty important in that context. I mean, he's a smelly dude. I mean, he did that whole long way round thing. You know, you and McGregor can smell real bad when he wants to. Train spotting? Hello. I don't think he's like Jared Leto, but he can smell bad. He knows how to do it. <laughs> <laughs> not saying Jared Leto smells bad. I'm just saying he commits to the bit. Are, are, are you not? <laughs> uh, maybe I am. You know what? Take it to the comments. Go see Morbius and tell us how it is. Because <laughs> <laughs> we didn't see that one. <laughs> Because we all had COVID. That's why I'm sticking to that explanation. <laughs> um, but anyway, so. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, mean, I, I, I think there, there are a couple of things that you, you said there that like absolutely hold up to what happens on the show. Right. When he when Bail Organa shows up to say, hey, could you could you do me a solid and go rescue Leia? Uh, Obi-Wan's answer is like, but Luke, I'm supposed to be helping Luke. <laughs> right. Uh, and then there's a moment when like. 
Uh, Leia has said, like, could you please lift me up in the air with the force? I think that would be super awesome. And then there's a moment a little bit later on where she's like, you're not really a Jedi at all. And I was like, I I was so sure that that scene was going to end with Obi-Wan just being like, okay, fine. And lifting her up in the air with the force, which like, I mean, that does happen, but not right away. He's, he's not willing to go there right away, which suggests that he is kind of living a, um, you know, a, a life in the meat space where physical things are the way that he, he tends to solve problems. Yeah, I think it's really interesting. People. Yeah. What? Oh, no, no. I was just saying he punches people. But yeah, go on. Yeah. Go on. Oh, yeah. yeah he's he very bad at it, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he punches people and he pulls out uh, a blaster. Like he 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 knows that he's going to need his lightsaber. He digs up his lightsaber, but he is very unwilling to use the lightsaber. And that feels like a real conscious choice. Yeah, yeah, and there's um uh you know a, a scene in the prequel um which is just meant as fan service. He like he uses a blaster, I think to kill Grievous at like point blank General Grievous at point blank range and he tosses it aside with the um quippy line so uncivilized which of course is a reference to the way he describes um the lightsaber in episode four which is you know it's, it's, it's not clumsy like like uh like like a blaster it's a weapon from a more civilized era yeah a more civilized era 20 years ago yeah <laughs> yeah back before back in the long long ago with captain walker right like that, that is that is always that is one of the funny things the prequels introduced, which is a very compressed time frame for all of this stuff to happen. Uh, but yeah, uh, so okay, um, I guess we do see the, but we see the the uh, the man in the mirror, as it were. Right, we see this concept ad absurdum in perhaps the greatest gift that the Obi Wan series has given us so far. Uh, Jordan, you first talked about him in the preparations. Do you want to introduce us to Obi Wan's? Uh, <laughs> to the to yeah. the true meat space Jedi. <laughs> yeah, the the, uh, the hilarious uh, reveal of Kamel Nanjiani uh, as I, I don't remember his Jedi name, but the the show clearly thinks of him as Kamel Nanjiani because there's this like. In the same way that you would have a reveal of like, oh, this character is actually Luke Skywalker. They were like, oh, this character is played by beloved comedian Kamel Nanjiani. <laughs> and he's like a um, – I thought for a moment that he was going to turn out to be like a Jedi that had really gone to seed. But no, he's just purely a guy who pretends to be a Jedi. Jedi and has like remotes and magnets to approximate force magic and is – uh, basically trading off of that to get people to hire him to do stuff like a, a, a fake Jedi. And yeah, it's a, a hilarious and uh, a very entertaining character and a wonderful performance uh, from Nanjiani. And it really is an interesting example of like, okay, so what is the true Jedi? Because this is something that this character is very insistent on. He's not actually scamming people exactly. Like, often they are trying to, like, get off planet or something like that. And he actually is, as a sort of criminal, he's got the contacts to get people off planet. And he's doing that. But he's pretending to be a Jedi, probably because he can afford to charge a little bit more if he uh, he gives that that uh, that patter, right? A little razzle-dazzle. So like, yeah. So, like, which one of these people actually is more of a Jedi, Obi-Wan, who is, hmm. you know, mining that mining that fish, or Kumail Nanjiani, who is lying about stuff and uh, kind of, you know, being sacrilegious, I suppose, by Jedi standards, but actually helping people. And, you know, helping – it's interesting to think of Jedi in terms of helping people because all of the lore about Star Wars – like, it occurs to me, is there is there a point in the explanation of who the Jedi are – where it's like, 
clearly indicated that their job is to help people <laughs> because there's so many other descriptions for what they do. Right. It's like the like in the in the prequels, it's like, oh, yeah, they uh, we're going to do aggressive negotiation with the Trade Federation because of the dispute over the the moon, you know, the planet of Naboo. And it's like, oh, yeah, they're they're the force. There's the light side and the dark side. I mean, does Luke Skywalker help people? Uh, that, that's I mean, that's that's it seems like a theoretical question, but it kind of isn't. When does Luke help people other than just the idea of he's the he is the the, the sort of doom of the emperor. And that's good because the emperor is bad. And so he helps put back in place the old Senate. But like, I mean, I mean, I'm sure I'm sure I'm, um, I'm I mean, you could think of things that are happening in kind of some of the ancillary stuff. But but does Luke ever do sort of like acts of charity? Um, I mean, there's not like a Luke Skywalker as the Incredible Hulk from the old TV series kind of idea where he just sort of goes from place to place helping people with little problems that they happen to have while he waits for uh, the Galactic War to get started again. I feel like that's what you sort of intuitively expect he would do in that situation, mm -hmm. but it's not something that's actually there in the text. And certainly you can point to things with the Jedi where like, you know, in I guess it's episode one when uh, when Qui-Gon is like, oh, you know, young Anakin Skywalker is this incredible force talent. We're going to free him from his uh, from slavery. And uh, and then it's like also his mother is a slave. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of it going on in the prequels. Right. Basically, it all boils down to the Jedi um, sit around in their robes mm -hmm. um, having meetings and can be completely oblivious to the crypto fascists uh, right under their nose and not actually doing the, the gardens of peace and justice thing um that is ostensibly somewhere uh, in their in their charter <laughs> but they, the, the bizarre bizarre fantasy world where your two options are one group of people who do nothing and actual fascists yeah <laughs> oh, i will say oh. that we are we are conscious and we discussed before the show we are conscious of the fact that the three of us are not big watchers of the clone wars cartoon or Star Wars Rebels, which no doubt address this problem in many episodes, I would wager, because you can't have that many television episodes about Jedi without at some point addressing this. Even even the stuff with Ahsoka in The Mandalorian addresses this somewhat by, you know, her kind of role dealing with the town and how she doesn't really come to save it per se. She sort of does, but she has this detachment from everything because she's part of this hardcore religious order. But she's uh, not, though, just to be clear, right? Like Ahsoka had broken off from the Jedi because she saw them as a bunch of uh, blowhards. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. But she is Jedi-ish. I mean, old, sure. new, oh, yeah. new presbyters, but old priests at large, right? She's a she's a Presbyterian Jedi. She's uh, she's not a Mormon Jedi, where it's like there's a lot of big differences. Even then, is there really a lot? I mean, but that's notwithstanding. It's uh, the point being that, like, but yeah, she she also knows the Jedi have stuff that are wrong, but she also is into detachment, right? And talks about detachment and Grogu and all that stuff. Right, and right, there's right, that right. notion in the Mandalorian of like, well, the Mandalorian gets things done, and the Jedi sit and meditate. You know, and 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 well, not get things done. The Mandalorian cares about people. The Mandalorians care about each other. They care about their tradition. They care about their planet. They often care too much. They may be talking kind of grumbly tones about it all the time. Uh, and they're they're super invested and in, and in care a lot about their thing. Whereas the Jedi are not supposed to care. And that's sort of what Grogu, the choice Grogu has to make in that show. But then it's like, okay, well, what's going to happen with the Obi Wan show? Here we have a Jedi who sort of cares. I mean, when he when he saves Leia from falling off the building, it seems like he's struggling. It seems like it's really hard for him to stop her. Did you guys get that same sense? 
Yeah, and I, I sort of wonder because how strong Jedi are supposed to be with the Force is something that's very elastic, right? Mm, yeah, yeah. Like uh, Yoda, Yoda has to work pretty hard to lift the spaceship out of the pond. Like he can right. do it; it's it's no big thing, but it's not like trivial for him. Right. Um, and Yoda is supposed to be remarkably strong in the Force. I don't. I think that it might be just something that, like, you know, stopping somebody from a life-threatening fall is about as strong as Obi-Wan is ever supposed to be. But it also could be that because he has sort of fallen out of Jedi-ness so much, his Force powers are currently weak and will be stronger later. Yeah, yeah. There's this whole thing um, in various Star Wars properties. I think, uh, in, uh, in particular, what uh, Last Jedi, right? Like this idea of cutting yourself off from the Force, um, and having your your your, your Forceness, your abilities uh, wane. Um, it's also it's also a big part of um, the video game Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order, which I think we've talked about in this podcast before. Um, and I'll just use this as an opportunity to, to just uh, segue us over and talk about the Inquisitors for a second, mm-hmm. because Inquisitors are really important. Um, in uh, become increasingly important in Star Wars lore, um, and they 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 feature very prominently in this Fallen Order video game, um, and of course in in this show as well. And I think this is the first time we see Inquisitors in live action, right? Um, so just like very practically, right? It provides a bunch of uh, you know dark side goons out there, so the Darth Vader isn't um, always that you know just like the one bad guy out there um, slicing people up. Um, it like you know and conversely as well like you know you have these other Jedi who survived the purge running around um, it like just makes it makes sense right the galaxy is a is a bigger place and, and another side note on this by the way um, it also helps explain to a certain extent why Obi Wan had no idea that Darth Vader was out there that Anakin slash Darth Vader was still alive right because like it's not like on the tips of everyone's tongue right you know like the gossip has not spread to Tatooine that there's this like crazy cyborg uh with a red lights with a red laser stick um out there killing people right obi-wan has no idea that's what's going on however right these inquisitors are just like buzzing there's i think there's like a dozen of them maybe less than a dozen of them but they're buzzing around the galaxy and they're hunting down jedi um and they're not sith full sith per se right that this is this is an important part of the lore because um you know only two there shall be right um you know master and apprentice they're just like dark side force users um, who are Darth Vader's hench, hench people going about and doing stuff. And they, they are known, right? Like when they come into the town at the beginning, they're like, uh, do you know who we are? And they're like, well, yeah, you're Inquisitors. Yeah. Uh, so like, and it does seem like Obi-Wan certainly knows there are people out there hunting Jedi. That's part, partially why he's hiding. Uh, so yeah, it, it, do, it does create a sort of a necessary layer of deniability and ignorance for Obi-Wan's character to work the way that it needs to work. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, the other thing as well to call out, um, and then I'll open up to you guys, is that like you know this the the line, um, a really interesting line. The more I think about it, right? The the Jedi hunt themselves, right? Well, that that means the Inquisitors as well, right? Because the Inquisitors, in some cases, were what younglings found from the temple that were then like brainwashed into into the servitude, or they, um, in other cases, they would have been Jedi, right? They're the force sensitive beings that the empire found and then turned into inquisitors. So, um, like I'm very excited to see the inquisitors here. Um, and like, I think like thematically, like I think it remains to be seen, like, are they going to do just like do something more interesting than just have a bunch of like, you know, um, scenery chewing, uh, bad guys that are just bad with their, with their dark sideness. 
Yeah, and like even in what we've seen so far, like if there was no more of it, I would say that they were there was a lot of interesting nuance there because there's three inquisitors that we really get to spend any time with, right? There's like the high inquisitor, and then there's what is it, the third sister and the fifth Reva. brother or something like Reva that. Reva and right? then uh, Han from uh, Fast and Furious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so there's there's already interesting things going on there. The idea that like the Inquisitors hunt themselves, if the if the Jedi hunting themselves is that Jedi are going to do nice things, they can't help themselves from that, and that's how we catch them. It seems as if the wickedness of the Inquisitors is going to be tripping them up at, at, at like at all points. So mm. the High Inquisitor gets himself got because he feels the need to sort of seize the grandeur for himself and to slap down the ambition of his subordinate. And she just, you know, she kills him because uh, she wants the power and the authority. And you can sort of see how her ambition or whatever it is, is also getting in the way of her getting the job done. So just as the Jedi's good qualities make them uh, vulnerable, the Inquisitor's bad qualities are making them vulnerable too. And then the other thing that's really interesting is that uh, that the, the fifth brother, Han, I guess, right? Like... He's this fascinating character, and it's a really well-done performance because he doesn't really do very much that's good, and he certainly chews the scenery as an evil villain. But they're like there are these couple of moments when one of the other Inquisitors is like, "All right, let's start let's start doing some atrocities. Let's like chop this person's hand off," and you see this just like visceral look of disgust sweep over his face. Like, mm. we don't have to be doing this, guys. So the notion that there is, like, this inherent decency in that, that character on some level, right? And, like, how, how significant a level it is, we will have to find out. But that makes them, in, in, in many ways, is, like, some of the best things about Kylo Ren as a villain was that, that kind of, like, layer of humanity that he had, right? Uh, we're seeing a little bit of that here, too. And it speaks to interesting confrontations that might come down the road, I would say. I really love my headcanon, a little bit of a little bit of a of a of a of a side note here. My headcanon is that during all that time that Anakin and Obi-Wan were flying around through space together on these sort of long business trips they always had to go on just with each other. I'm sure they talked about a lot of things and I'm sure Anakin annoyed the heck out of Obi-Wan all the time just be talking about stupid stuff because that seemed to be what he did. You know, he just talks about a lot of stupid stuff. I, there's, there's a moment where the third sister says, you know, you know, Darth Vader wants you where Obi-Wan seems to immediately know what she's talking about. And my head canon is that at one point Anakin was like, Hey man, if you turn bad, like what would your Sith name be? Like what Darth would you be? He's <laughs> <laughs> like, that's a stupid question. And he's like, no, no, you know, just if I'm not saying we would do it, but you know, you get to have a new name. So, you, you know, it, it sounds like it would be pretty cool. And he's like, I'm not, I'm not going to entertain that. I'd be Vader. I'd be Darth Vader. Who is Vader? What is a Vader? Like invader? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, just like Vader, like the old pro wrestler from the WCW. No, that's, that was, that's in the future. This is a long time ago. Vader hasn't been born yet. Uh, but yes, yes, I think that I thought it was interesting that Obi-Wan immediately knew who Darth Vader was even before the third sister said it was Anakin, or at least it seemed that way, which sort of suggested also that Obi-Wan has some greater sense of what's happening, not cognitively, but that he might have, you know, there, a sense, right? There is a um, scene in episode three, by the way, just to, 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 to um, address a specific point. 
um, where uh, uh, Obi Wan is gets <laughs> uh, gets access to some surveillance footage um, that shows um, pa- Palpatine dubbing Anakin as Darth Vader. So that name is oh. known to Obi Wan before. So, but gosh, uh, so importantly, though, Obi Wan. Um, doesn't know what happened to Anakin here. He clearly it, it, was, it was a safe assumption that he uh, would have been burnt to a crisp and died. And Mustafar, after um, you know, he, uh, Anakin after, after Obi Wan chopped, <laughs> dismembered him, and then left him <laughs> burning barbecue, human barbecue. Talk about bad smells in the Star Wars universe. Okay, <laughs> inside of Tauntauns, Obi Wan's bo, and then burning human flesh. <laughs> so, so yeah, that. Sorry for the dead air there. I was typing that out as a possible title idea for the episode. <laughs> we probably Thanks, won't go with it. By the way, if you become an Overthinking It member, not only do you get access to our members-only sick exclusive Discord, where sometimes we talk about something, sometimes, but you also get all of the titles we don't name this episode. <laughs> so just a quick plug for Overthinking It membership. It's affordable. We really, really appreciate it. And the rewards are literally the ones I just told you, and sometimes a couple of other things. <laughs> yeah, let, let, let me put on detail in, in uh, on the pile here, and then we can we can move on okay. from this, uh, or, or or keep going on it. Um, yeah. Reva, the third sister, right? Yes. Like she's obsessed with finding Obi Wan Kenobi. Like we might be, we are left as viewers wondering why is this the case, right? What relationship does she have with Obi Wan Kenobi? Does she even have one? Unclear. I think there's a it's a pretty safe assumption that. Um, she is one of the younglings that we see in the first uh, prologue sequence in the show, and um, my I'm just kind of filling the gaps here. Is like she um, gets uh, gets a an idea in her head that Obi Wan either abandoned her or uh, just helped enable bad stuff to happen in her life, and she is out for revenge. That's interesting. I mean, that makes a ton of sense. For some reason, I had thought because the way the other Inquisitors are like, you're from the gutter, that that she was not a ex-Jedi, that she was just like a random Force-sensitive urchin that they found and like brought into I the think order. The Jedi, I think the Jedi Academy is the, is the, is the gutter. Uh, oh, okay. That could make sense, too. Um yeah, certainly the, the notion of her having a personal grudge against Obi-Wan is a more compelling character beat than just like, yeah, well, I heard that Obi-Wan was the highest validity target. So, you know, like, got got to grind. I mean, my my I, I love coming up with theories that I know have no chance of being correct. But my theory for this is that Darth Vader, because why does Darth Vader really want to see Obi-Wan? Well, maybe vengeance for chopping his arms and legs off. But I mean, that's a little bit pedestrian for something so high minded as this uh, Obi-Wan drifting through the desert uh, kind of story. Maybe maybe Vader wants Obi-Wan to join him and uh, and and depose the emperor. Right. Maybe Obi-Wan, maybe Darth Vader wants to turn Obi-Wan and uh, become his master and and stage a coup or something. And maybe because it, there's also this sense that the third sister wants to oppress Darth Vader. But like we don't really see anybody in the story who has particular loyalty to Darth Vader. People are scared of Darth Vader. You know, they fear him. Ah- Ahsoka is pretty much the only one who like does what he says. But I guess that's when he's Anakin. 
right? So like, this is a new thing. Somebody who's like, well, I work, I, I know that I work for the Inquisitors, but really my loyalty is to Darth Vader because he's a really cool guy that everybody like gets along with. And you get the sense that if he's your boss, your career is really going places, <laughs> right? Like, uh, as is evidenced by the trail of people that he collaborated with for merely five or 10 minutes that were left dead at his feet due to accidents that were mostly not their faults, right? <laughs> I like this theory a lot, Pete. And the other yeah. thing that um, I'm just throwing Star it would Wars save more, Luke like, and Leia. Like they could all be together. You don't, you know, like if if Vader is in charge of the galaxy, right? Then like that could fix everything. You know, Anakin. They could get rid of all the sand, right? And then no yeah. more sand. Yeah, exactly. like some real policy um, yeah. uh, changes they can implement. No, so just um, important. That this, I'm just going to just drop lore. This is my job here, right? okay. lore bomber. Sure. Um, so remind, remember, like in this. Um, uh, in this point in time, Darth Vader doesn't realize that he has living children, right? Right. He, he thinks know. he thinks yeah. that they died. So just that that important yeah. detail. But I love your idea, Pete. That like this, the what Darth Vader is, is has asked the Inquisitors to bring Obi Wan Kenobi in so that he can convert him to the dark side and they can take down the Emperor. That makes a ton yeah. of sense. And like, and it, like the show is clearly, of course, like leading up to some sort of like confrontation reunion with the two of them, and it will help address. Um, it's like arguably like a throwaway line or maybe a misconstrued line in, in Return of the Jedi when um, after Luke uh, surrenders himself to Darth Vader and they're um, having a father awkward father-son chat on Endor before they go up to the Death Star, um, Luke Luke uh, is is you know doing his whiny thing to Darth Vader. is like, you're good. There's still good in you. You're just come back to the light side. And then Darth Vader says, Obi-Wan once thought as you did. But oh. it's too late for me now. Now, like, that is, like, you know, hugely open to interpretation. Like, it's probably safe to assume at the time, um, like, that was like, Obi-Wan once thought as you did, like, in a much very general sense. It's like, oh, you know, yeah. like, Obi-Wan, like, you know, was once a Jedi and, like, you know, thought about the, you know, the light side of the Force and the dark side of battle and so on and so forth. Um, but what this show might be setting things, leading things up to is, like, some sort of, like, moment where Obi-Wan, like, tries to, um, uh, uh, you know, turned Darth Darth Vader back to the light side of the Force, and I, I, I really love because we're spinning out as we talk about these things. All these different potential plots for the show. In terms of starting a show, I love how many unanswered questions it's already posed that may or may not be relevant. There's just so many little seeds that were planted in the first couple episodes of the show that could get picked up and become something or might be nothing. And so it's actually kind of hard to guess exactly which way it would go. And I'll and I'll give you one more example. So one of the things that's been established is the force power to read minds, right? And that the third sister can take Obi-Wan Kenobi's location from the courageous and lucre-motivated uh, mind of Kumel Nanjani, mm. right, uh, and and go find him. Obi-Wan Kenobi is putting these kids at tremendous risk being anywhere around these people because they could potentially read his mind, especially if he has fallen out with the force and doesn't have the power that he used to have. Uh, or like, like if he doesn't have the focus, you would sense that maybe a Jedi would be able to resist that. But the Je- the Obi-Wan that we're seeing right now doesn't necessarily seem like he could stand up under, you know, dark side force interrogation. Especially if he shows up with the girl, you know, like like hanging around. But if there's going to be a confrontation between any of these people, one of the questions I'm asking is, how does Obi Wan not get his mind read? Uh, and and I'm I'm curious if mm, that's going to have an answer, yeah. or whether it's just not going to be a thing. It's not, you know, it's just one of the little, you know, it's like the uh, 
It's like the the pink bear in Breaking Bad. You know, you don't really know what it's going to be, but it's it could be something. It could be nothing. You know, uh, you know, like they could sort of wave it away as like that only works on the on the weak minded, right. uh, sort of in the way that if, if the if the Jedi mind trick, these are not the droids you are you're looking for. If that worked on anybody, then Star Wars would be a very different and kind of hilarious movie. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I would be you could get into like primer type situations of like layers of this stuff. Yeah. Right? Like, like, and it's just like all, all of the Jedi are like practice. They, like they train as auctioneers because whoever can like talk the fastest is always going to win any confrontation. <laughs> <laughs> but, but the notion that like, I mean, yeah, like it is potentially a loaded gun that is set to go off because Obi-Wan's got big secrets, you know, like that's, that's the good thing about his, uh, his going into hiding is that he's got those big secrets. One thing that actually just jumped out at me, like when he when he's talking to Uncle Owen, like when the boy is old enough, he needs to be trained. Isn't the Jedi way of doing things like wasn't the point to start doing that with Luke when he was a baby mm-hmm. mm. or or like super young? Yeah, because they keep saying yeah. he's too old, right? Yeah. yeah. You, even like, Anakin, like Anakin was considered was too old. old. Yeah. Yeah. And he's supposed to be 10, which is older than Anakin is when. Well, I don't know how old any of these children are. Yeah. But uh, but I don't know how old Anakin is when they find him. But he doesn't look ten. Uh, but you know, I guess these are all these questions are all answered in Star Wars Rebels when they're when they go through the family notebook and they're like, "Here's how old everyone was in the previous episodes." Right. Of this, can, this can, can we talk? Can we talk about uh, Young Leia a little bit more? Sure, definitely. Yeah, um, okay, so um, let's also get this, this get this thing out of the way here. I acknowledge that, like for some reason, Disney Star Wars chase scenes are really hit and miss right in book of boba fett we had like the leisurely paced um hover moped chase through the streets of uh, uh, of maz espa and tatooine that was like a top 10 hover moped chase of all time though (laughs) well damn it with faint praise Pete. damn it with faint praise okay and in this one like the foot the foot chase um between a bunch of grown men and a barely 10 year old girl felt excruciatingly slow um like uh like very poorly paced um like i, I will I, I will you know not um obsess i will not dwell over this and and you know condemn the entire project on, on account of this but that was certainly not the, one of the highlights of, you never of get tired running episodes. after your children mark <laughs> oh wow wow burn that was that was that was like a burn on par with owen lars saying hey how's your jetta training go for the last time you did it, huh as wow. a burn on par with Owen Lars getting hit by the stormtroopers at the beginning. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I, I was just struck during that chase scene with the like the the Mighty Morphin Power Ranger villain level uh, reactions to simple forest topography that the various people had. Or <laughs> like Leia like <laughs> swings a branch back in their face and they're like, "Ah, a branch is no my one weakness." I was going to write that one down, too. Uh, but, yeah, no, that was great. Uh, I guess what I should say is that for those of us who chase children around, the issue with chasing children around isn't that they're fast or evasive, really. It's that they're, they're, they are able to be in, to get into the mood to run away from you at a moment's notice when they have when you have been moved on to something else and you don't necessarily expect what's going on and their mood swings so rapidly back and forth, right? It's not like, oh, man, my toddler is taken off and I can't catch him. It's more like I sat down to drink my coffee for two freaking minutes and my toddler is taken off and now I have to put the coffee down and I'm not going to see that coffee for another four hours, right? I got <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> to chase this kid. Um, well, so yeah, the idea also- that, yeah. 
Also, you're not allowed to harm them, which is not a thing that these kidnappers are, are dealing with. <laughs> that is a good point. Yeah, Flea is not a – Flea is such an interesting choice. But yes, exactly. That's a really good point. So it's super sassy. It's uh, – it's it's it reminds me of the Dolph Lundgren Punisher movie. Do you ever watch that movie? Um, have you guys ever seen the Dolph Lundgren Punisher? Uh, no, but we, but we rely on you, Pete, to watch those. For uh, us. Oh yeah, I, I go these. I go where the brave do not go. It was in the WPIX annual rotation back in the day. I don't know if it is anymore. Probably the the, the more recent one. I hesitate to say the better one. But it's a movie that is for the most part, a pretty super dark crime drama that's very influenced by Yakuza crime dramas, both aesthetically in terms of direct appropriation and also style, uh, and has kids in it, which is terrible, right? Has like sort of tough talking rebellious children <laughs> like who are next to like Dolph Lugrit's like, he's meditating in his dojo and he's like, the, 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 the evil must be punished. And it's like, cut to, cut to. You know, there's like a scene where every, there's a whole sequence where everything goes red because they're fighting in the pitch dark and someone takes a knife to the forehead through a paper wall and dies. And then it's like, I'm a kid in prison and I'm going to kick this guy in the shins because I don't listen to anybody. And it's just like, that's the worst kind of child acting, right? Is like the sort of spunky kid who shows up in a, in a tonal piece where they just don't belong at all and just ruins everything. Uh, then Leia is not that quite but it's it's not not close, right? Like, I mean, uh, yeah. Um, I mean, they, they did end up on the planet of Shadowrun, right? In the uh, in the yeah. second episode. <laughs> oh, so what? So Shadow. Obviously, I know what what Shadowrun is, but I'm I'm not. Are there children in Shadowrun, or or just the? Oh poems, no no the, the the like the sort of uh, the very very moody like neo Tokyo neon yes. uh, crime yes. world right like everybody's on the hustle everybody's on the grind and then randomly you have this sort of like plucky little kid I feel like I mean I actually think that the child child actor that they have doing Leia is doing quite a good job of it and her dialogue is mostly not ridiculous but it is a a tonally strange beat. To have her yeah. there for sure yeah. um and to have it be like yeah to have like the episode where obi-wan goes to a meth lab is also the episode where he picks up his uh his spunky child sidekick <laughs> is uh curious let's say well, well uh brian cranston does that in breaking bad too right no, <laughs> <It's> no. Just, <laughs> no he's not a child he's not certain uh, raisin brain crunch is that what walter jr always wanted to eat uh but yeah i mean and again it also is endearing because it's nice to see princess leia characterized right as opposed to merely portrayed, uh, which is, I guess, goes back, which takes us all the way back to the beginning of this episode and this notion of, you know, can you embody, can you actually tell the story of Obi-Wan Kenobi and not just, you know, play his stat block in a combat RPG, right? Where like, you know, he gets to be pointed in a certain direction and he has the ability that he can only use once that he got like 10 levels ago to kill himself and like give someone advantage on one uh, attack or saving throw, yeah. right? Like, um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I like guess. That, like with Leia, you have sort of a similar, a similar question. I feel like it wasn't that, weird to have uh have her go off with bail organa and be like okay well she's going to become this like diplomat and military leader because that's the family that she's raised into i hadn't really had a problem with that i do kind of have a problem with the current arc just because it seems like with the exception of her actual parents it turns out that the organa family are all dicks 
right? Yeah. Uh, which is like, <laughs> n- now there's actually an arc that needs to be told of like what turned Leia into Leia, uh, which presumably the series is going to be interested in trying to tell. Uh, but th- th- like that was, a, that was a problem they created for themselves. You know, they, if she had just sort of stayed with, uh, stayed with Jimmy Smith, that would be fine. Yeah, you never get the sense that Princess Leia is unhappy about being a senator. Amidala, maybe. Amidala didn't like to be a senator, but Leia seemed to be fine with it, right? Like being part of the old republic, she sort of really naturally takes to those kinds of leadership yeah, roles. Although, yeah. I mean, like, to a degree, although she definitely was engaged in treasonous rebellion against the republic. That's right? true. That's actually true. And yeah, she does run around with a bunch of crazy robots in a conspiracy to overthrow the government. So yeah, maybe I should take that back. And she she does do sort of uh, spunky things, even as an adult. So it, it occurs uh, to me since since we've got like you know teeny teen girl Hawkeye TV show and uh, teen girl Miss Mar- um, uh, um, that was called Miss Marvel yeah teen girl Miss Marvel <laughs> TV show coming up. We are a hundred percent going to have a teen girl young Princess Leia. Great show, awesome coming up. Know? Which like which, which leads me to a thought like maybe we can we can end on this here. Where it's like I am like endlessly fascinated by how Star Wars can't seem to break out of the story scaffolding of episodes one through nine, or really specifically episodes four, <laughs> four through four six. six. Yeah, right. Like try as they might, right? Like you know, Ryan Johnson has this entire Star Wars trilogy plan that is completely outside of the Skywalker saga, which is either indefinitely on hiatus or completely killed. Um. Right, the try as the Disney Corporation might, um, they can't seem to escape from it. Like the the first Star Wars, Star Wars episodes four through six were just like too damn good, <laughs> like just too much for for the pop culture to uh, to, with, to 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 withstand. Right, like it just yeah. came at exactly the right moment, did all of the right things, and uh, however many decades later, like yeah, we're still here, we're still doing this. Okay, all right, you know what? Fine, <laughs> I'm, I'm actually never, not. I'm not. Which, I'm not complaining mean- yet. Which means that if we do get that Teen Leia show, you know that the way that it's going to resolve is she's going to be like, I'm dealing with teenage emotions. And, you know, someone's going to be like, oh, great, let's blow them up with a proton torpedo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I used to bull, I used to bullseye the psyches of womp rats back home for my T-16, right? Uh, exactly. <laughs> all right, well, before we torpedo our own... Uh, psyches anymore or emotions anymore uh from our t16s uh womp rats notwithstanding uh i have i all that remains for me is to thank the panel thank you mark and thank you jordan for coming to talk about obi-wan kenobi uh i'm looking forward to watch the rest of the show you guys looking forward to watch the rest of this show yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, we'll, we'll sure. be back with another episode to wrap all this up yeah, I probably when the show's over. The show is pretty solid. I mean, there's been a lot of shows that we haven't really talked about in the podcast because they seem to have been coming out Fast and Furious, you know. But not. I don't mean once every few years like Fast and Furious. I mean like faster than we can watch them. But uh, but this one seems like a keeper. So we will keep our eyes on it. And if it becomes like Picard, yeah. we will let you know. Yeah. That was a nice way of saying <laughs> Pete saying that we're not going to do Moon Knight, huh? Uh, well, no, I'm just saying like we could. But we haven't watched no, it. No, we're yet. not. Yeah, we haven't watched it. I mean, it. I'd like to. Do you guys? It I mean, I, no. It's 
Forget, we talk- forget I ever said the words. No, look, all right. We have something. Look, we're going to go backstage behind this live. We're in front of a live crowd of 10,000 people right now here at the Hartford Civic Center, uh, which I think was knocked down like 10 years ago. But no, and we're going to go backstage. We're all going to sort this out. We're going to figure out whether we're going to podcast about Moon Knight or not. We're going to figure out whether anybody wants to watch the rest of Peacemaker, which, you know, Balinky said was really good, but none of the rest of us finished. I'm going to watch Cobra Kai at some point. We all have plans. All right. Uh, one of those plans involves Top Gun, which I've oh, seen, geez. which is awesome, yeah. and I really, really hope that the COVID bug leaves us all alone for long enough that everybody gets to see it and we can talk about it in earnest because that movie is legit. Uh, but, you know, these are all teasers for the future, and uh, this podcast was about a galaxy far, far away, so that means it's over. Uh, thank you all. Thank you, panel. Thank you, listeners. Thank you, members. And until then, visit this us on, the, this on the web at overthinkingit.com where we subject the popular – to a level of scrutiny it probably, it probably doesn't doesn't We'll podcast about Moon Knight, but it'll be our alternate personalities doing it. And we won't realize afterwards that we've done it. So then we'll never upload it and we'll just sit on a computer somewhere. So you've watched Moon Knight is what you're saying. Yes, yeah, so that, <laughs> that, that, that was my flex. <laughs> okay, got it.